everybody, and welcome back to the Black Lawyers Podcast. Today, we have the pleasure of interviewing Till movie producer, Keith Bonchamp. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Black Lawyers Podcast. Today, we have the pleasure of interviewing Keith Bonchamp. Uh, he is the producer of the Till movie based on Emmett Till's life and his mother, mother, and uh, we're, we're just so excited today to have you. Um, the film is doing amazing. Welcome to the podcast. Wow. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so my uh, uh, my listeners know I make everyone play, play, you know, Black Lawyer Hot Topics, you know, whether you're a lawyer or not, uh, anything that's going on in Black law, you play Hot Topics. Uh, just your personal opinion about some of the things that are kind of going on in the world. One of the first things um, that recently hit the news uh, in the last probably 24 hours, Brittany Griner, um, who you know is detained in Russia uh, because of her vape pen that was found in her suitcase. We all know that she was found guilty and that she was going to appeal it. Um, and so um, most people stood in the opinion that, okay, this is probably a formality, right? That she's going to appeal it. It may or may not work. And so we found out today it didn't work. They did not grant her appeal. Um, and so just to imagine an American, uh, you know, Black American citizen in a foreign country, um, they are stuck in jail for, it appears, you know, a nine-year sentence uh, because of accidentally leaving a vape pen in her suitcase. Uh, what are you, just what are your thoughts on that? You know, I, I I haven't been following as much as I should, but um, I kind of feel like you know the government needs to step in a little bit more, like we've seen the government step in on many of these um, kind of cases that have happened in the past. Um, the government, U.S. government, is very silent about this. Although I've heard some rumblings in the past of and trying to do the best that he can to, to get Britney back here on American soil. But, um, it, you know, we're living in turbulent times right now. Um, you have this war in Ukraine and, and Russia going on at, at the moment. This is a terrible time for this to be taking place, um, especially if you're African-American and you're over in Eastern Europe. For sure, for sure. And, and I mean, not that you ever want to be, I don't know if you've ever watched, lot, what is it? Locked up, what is it called? It was like, it's love a popular No, no, not love about the lock. That's a funny one too, but no, there's <laughs> one where you get locked up overseas. Oh, they do locked it. up, yeah, locked up abroad. Locked up abroad. And they have all yes. these scary tales of like people getting locked up. And I was like, oh my God, this is like a, you know, like the worst case of locked up abroad. Um, and it's like, not that you ever want to get arrested at any time, but like she literally got arrested right before Absolutely. everything happened with Ukraine and Russia. So, um, you know, obviously our prayers are with her. Um, yes. She did not win her appeal. Um, so legally, the only way that she is going to see her way out of this is a swap. Um, and they are thinking about swapping her with you know, they want at least two two uh, Russian prisoners that we have. But one of them, I think, has this death name who supposedly did awful, awful things. They want him back and they want, I think, one other person back. So I think that's why Biden hasn't budged just yet, because I think they think they're over asking. Um, uh -huh. But at the same time, it's like now she doesn't have her appeal. So we're really in a corner about who they're going to ask for in her exchange. So it should be really interesting to see. Um, when the exchange happens and who, 
improve the exchange fund that being. And I agree. I definitely agree. I actually, um, you know, I believe the swap should happen. You know, it, it's happened for a lot less people. And yeah. so, yeah. you know, in the yeah. past with yeah. different countries of conflict. So certainly, I mean, we could do something for Brittany now. Yes, for sure. And so we're just going to pray that uh, this is going to happen sooner versus later since the formality is over with the appeal. Now the swap can take place um, and that she is back in United States soil um, safely. Um, In terms of another hot topic, which just will not go away, um, Mr. Kanye West, uh, you know, stands on what he believes and, you know, has recently made comments that some believe are anti-Semitic. And so I think at one point he was like, well, you know, if you do this, you do that, you're just making my point, right? You're making my point for me. You're pulling things away from me that you're making my point, right, for me. Um, And so things keep getting taken away from him. Uh, There were certain uh, deals with, I believe, um, not even so much deals, like collaborations with Anna Wachor Vogue and Balenciaga and things like that. But the the biggest one everybody knows is Adidas. And so Adidas, of course, is very quiet for the last two weeks. I think they were just hoping he would simmer down, you know, maybe switch topics, talk about something else. But it's like he kind of stood 10 toes down on what he was saying, what he felt like about, you know, Black people in business and ownership and things like that, which again, those things aren't wrong. I do I do believe what he's saying about us owning our own and um, being yes. in our positions of our own power is true. Um, some of his direct comments at certain, you know, racial groups, of course, he should have left that out, right? Um, but he didn't do that. And so now um, Adidas has finally decided uh, to not move forward. Um, and so a lot of people are like, oh, wow, I can't believe Adidas is really not going to move forward with him and his and his Yeezy brand. And I, I am being, you know, my brain is thinking over time. I said, you know what? I believe one of his main contracts with them expired in uh, 20, 2021, I believe. Um, and, and perhaps there was, there was an, a future collaboration that was going to happen. Um, but a part of me, and I could be wrong, a part of me feels like he kind of, kind of wants to do his own thing anyway. Um, and so this is a way to get out of these contracts. It's like, if you know you say something that they're no, not going to like, then they'll they'll mm-hmm. let you out the contract because, you know, they don't want to deal with you anymore versus you breaching it. Um, I think the same thing has happened with his um, recording deal. I don't know if you remember, he called it a slave contract. Oh. They now no longer want to move forward with his, his record deal. But he wanted to get out of that contract anyway. So it appears, I don't know if this is him being extra smart or it's just working out for him, that a lot of these deals are like falling apart. But in a way, they're falling apart in his favor because he kind of wants to do, be able to have his own um, you know, autonomy with his music and his, and his label and things like that. So just what are your just general thoughts about all these you know, deals falling apart in, in, in Kanye's next move? Well, Brother Ye, I'm a huge fan of. Um, I just have to say that we have to be conscious that he may be going through an episode. And so, you know, it's just seeing everyone um, cut him off and the way they're cutting him off, um, even the way the platforms he was given recently, and he was allowed to vent, I guess, and, and to speak his mind. I think we have to be conscious that he does have a mental illness and he probably is having an episode. And I worry about that because of the fact that we're allowing him to continue to speak publicly 
And he's been attacked as if he invented racism. And that bothers me. You know, we haven't seen this type of outrage since we've seen Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I there's a, a whole lot, a lot of people that I can name mm-hmm. who are outright racist, who right. people continue to support regardless of the things that they say. So, right. you know, Brother Ye needs, needs help. We need mm-hmm. to be conscious of that. We should not be allowing him to have these type of platforms because America, unfortunately, we like to build people up and tear them down in public. And that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. And so I don't agree with the way things are being handled. Um, you know, Kanye made his money. He's a brilliant man. Um, I'm sure that he will be able to come back on top again. But he does have a serious problem that we have to be aware of. For sure. For sure. And, and I love what you say about, you know, we kind of live in this society of building people up and then in public and exactly. tearing them down. Kind of similar to what happened with Will Smith. You know, there are a lot of things where it's like... That's right. We just want to cancel people. And I don't know if you recently saw uh, Dave Chappelle and a couple other people supported Will's private skinning of his movie. And I just love to see that picture because um, I believe he's coming out with emancipation. Um, yes. I just love to see like, you know, other people still supporting him because people were just so quick, even after he apologized a million times, because everybody has their moments, even without mental illness. We all have our moments where we say something right. and maybe we meant something else. Or we didn't mean to offend. Or we did something we didn't mean to offend. Um, and we we're just so quick to cancel. This cancel culture is just crazy. And I'm sorry, I don't, I don't agree. I don't agree with cancel culture, especially if A, someone has mental illness or B and or, you know, they're seeking help. They're seeking forgiveness. They're apologizing. Um, so yes. I love what you said about, you know, us not tearing people down in public. I think they do need to stop giving him a pl- public platform to speak. I think at this Absolutely. point, say what you need to say. We don't need to hear anything else, you know? Um, and so, yeah, it should be interesting to see what happens next. I mean, probably within maybe the last week, he's pretty much any sort of collaboration, sponsorship, everything he's mm-hmm. kind of lost in the collaboration. Yeah. So it should be Absolutely. interesting to see what he um, does next. And obviously, you know, here at the Black Warriors podcast, obviously we'll, we'll be monitoring monitoring him um, and what he's doing. But we appreciate your feedback on that. You know, sometimes it's, just, it's a hard topic to talk about Kanye because he is loved. He is loved by the way. Yeah, he's, he's beloved and he's very talented. And mm-hmm. all of us, we I mean, I love his music. I think mm-hmm. he's a brilliant man. Um, you know, but like I said, I believe he's going through his episodes. And if you if you've been around people who are bipolar or who have mm-hmm. mental illness, then mm-hmm. you don't understand it. Right. And so I think he's being exploited at this oh, yeah. moment in time because mm-hmm. news, unfortunately, has become entertainment in many ways. And yes. that's how they're making their money. Yes. And so I just wish, you know, people just be conscious of what they're doing and understand mm-hmm the problems that exist with this man mm-hmm. and that he needs some time, you know, right. um, to get over his problems that he's dealing with. He's been right. through a lot in the past decade. Right. He for sure has. And so we wish Kanye well. Um, we hope that um, whatever he's going through, things balance themselves out and that, you know, there is a level of forgiveness when it when it's time for that, that, that point for Kanye. Um, with that being said, we want to jump to why we're here today. Obviously, to ask you a few questions about this film movie, which, you know, will be nationwide on the 28th. I know there's yes. some early screenings right now going on. I've had the pleasure of um, being one of the people to see one of the early screenings and just was blown away 
And I didn't know what to expect, to be honest with you, because I'm like, well, I already know the story. You know, it was one of those things where, you know, what 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 can I get out of this if I, if I already know the story? Um, and so I was just I was just really blown away. And so congratulations, amazing job. Before we jump into a few of the questions about the film, we first just want to start a little bit with about more about you. Uh, so my first question was, or my first question is, who were you? Who was Keith before Keith, the, you know, the filmmaker? <laughs> who were you? So That's let's a hard question. Just a little bit. You don't have to go back to like, yeah. you know, yeah. elementary school. I mean, unless you want to, but uh, maybe like college, like kind of, I want to know what, like right before you became this, what was your path? Because a lot of times people want to get into, you know, producing and directing mm -hmm. and, and things like that. And so um, just tell us a little bit about your journey right before you became um, uh, you know, a producer or a filmmaker? Well, first of all, I, again, thank you for this platform. And, you know, you're taking me back some ways because most of my life, my identity has been Emmett Till because mm -hmm. of the work that I've done. And so um, my journey with Emmett Till started when I was 10 years old. I grew up in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And I was in my parents' study, and I came across an old Jet magazine that they kept over the years. And in that magazine was the story of Emmett Till. That's how I discovered it. And as I opened the pages, there's this angelic face of this young little boy on one side of the page. And on the other side of this page, there's this horrific face of this monster. And I could not understand what happened to this young man. And or this young boy, I should say. Let me be careful with that, right? Mm -hmm. But my parents just so happened, they were walking by the study. They looked in on me. My mother walked in and she saw me with my mouth open. And she looked over my shoulder and she saw that I discovered the photograph of Emmett Till's corpse. And then she calls my father in and they both looked at each other and they said, it's time to tell him the story. But throughout my life, the name Emmett Till kept resurfacing. When I got to high school, I was situationally dating. And the first thing my parents would tell me before I left the house at night was, don't let what happened to Emmett Till happen to you. So it became an educational tool to teach me about the racism that still exists in this country. But it wasn't until two weeks before my high school graduation where I had my real run-in with racism. And that was when I was assaulted by an undercover police officer for dancing with a white classmate of mine. And that's what made me want to fight injustice didn't quite know how that could happen without being involved um, in the system itself. So I decided to study criminal justice at Southern University of Baton Rouge in hopes of becoming a civil rights attorney. But then towards my junior year of college, I was introduced to filmmaking by my childhood best friend who moved to New York City with his sister and started their own film production company. And it was, uh, it was at that time where I had this conversation with my parents, look, you know, if this thing doesn't work out, let me sit out a semester. If it doesn't work out, I'll go back, finish undergrad, go to law school as planned. Um, it worked out for me. As simple as that. I actually um, decided to take on this the story of Emmett Till when I first started um, working for my childhood friend's company. Um, I was asked if there was a story I wanted to tell. And of course, Emmett Till, the name that I heard most of my life came in, came to mind. And when I decided to take on that task, I said the only way that could be possible that I could tell this story 
And the and the rightful way that it should be told is through the family standpoint on the people who lived it. So I initially reached out to Emmett Till's mother. Um, I called her. I was at a at, a, at my side job at Estee Lauder headquarters, in, <laughs> which is funny, New York City. And I'm sitting in the office and I pick up the phone and I dial the number and she picks up and I quickly hang up in her face okay. because I was very nervous. I didn't know what type of state of mind she would be in. And certainly I did not want to open up old wounds. And so... After I hung up, I fussed at myself sitting at my desk. I didn't move to New York City to become, to work in anybody's office or to work in corporate America. But I said, you know, I'm going to call her back and and um, and talk with her and see what, see if she would support me in this endeavor. And so I called her back and when she picked up the phone, I immediately apologized to her. I explained to her it was me that called previously and mm -hmm. I told her why I hung up the phone. Mm -hmm. And she just told me to, you know, just to relax, talk to her, you know, for two and a half hours. We talked the first time. Mm -hmm. So that was early, um, mid-95. I didn't meet Mother Mobley face to face until two weeks before Christmas in 1996. Mm -hmm. Okay. So a year later. Mm -hmm. A year later, and when we met, um, the way she would say it, it was as if it was a love affair, because I um, we knew so much about each other at that moment in time that we just gelled, and she became my mentor. Uh, well, first my friend, of course, and then my mentor for eight and a half years until she took her last breath. What has been your best experience? Because I know you have a documentary ahead of this actual feature from Teal. Um, I know your journey, like I said, started with your documentary. Um, but with the actual movie, Teal, or even the documentary, just this whole experience, um, what, what would you say has been the best experience and what has been the most challenging experience? Well, I want, I want to clear up something. You know, the documentary was something that I did not really want to pursue. I was trying to produce the feature film first. Mm. I ended up writing a screenplay before I met Mother Mobley in early 1995. And it was optioned off by producers who worked with Showtime. Mm. And after I did, after I signed the option agreement, they sat on the project. So I didn't have any control over it for three years. I see. So it just so happened when I met Mother Mobley, she knew this was going on. Um, I'm glad that film was never made. But um, she knew that, you know, I was dealing with that issue legally. And she understood that it was going to be very difficult for me to produce a film that I wanted to produce. And so she basically became the inspiration and encouraged me to produce the documentary because all, with all the research that I was conducting at that time, I was finding witnesses who have never spoke publicly before. Um, I was finding out new evidence in the case at that time. So we wanted to quickly get it out to the masses. And the best way we could have done it was by way of the documentary. And so it started off as research materials mm -hmm. for me. If you can look at, if you go and watch, if you've seen the untold story of Emmett Lewis Till, it's not the best shot. And the reason being is because I was out interviewing witnesses making sure that I recorded them by tape because I didn't know if I was going to ever see them again. Mm -hmm. Then I realized that 
it was sort of taking depositions. Mm-hmm. And so when I you said you still got to become a lawyer, right? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. it was a very full circle moment for you. You still, full you know, circle. And so when that started happening, of course, we're looking at all these tapes and information that I was gathering. And that's when she encouraged me to use that footage and stuff and and build it into a documentary. And we were able to do that. It took me nine years to produce the untold story. And of course, ultimately it led to the reopening of the case in 2004. Right. Um, And I just want to close out with just one or two other questions. You mentioned how it's like depositions and just looking for witnesses and evidence and things like that. Um, One of the things that people will see in the film is that there was always this question over, was that really his body? You know, obviously there was a ring and of course a mother knows her son, um, but that was one of the defenses that maybe it really wasn't him and he was just missing. Um, So can you give us a quick, just like intel on like why DNA maybe wasn't used back then? Did did they not have like fingerprints? Were there not, it just seems very strange. Maybe back then they just did not have that. You're, you're actually actually asking great questions. Uh, Mother Mobley actually tried to get an exhumation done in 1955 after the trial, but they would not allow it. And so all these many years, all the way up to 2004, there's been this mystery among some, is this body, in fact, Emmett Till? You know, because back then... What their argument was is the body was too badly decomposed to be that of Emmett Till. Um, there was they were saying that they couldn't determine if the body was black or white. Um, they were also, you know, saying that this was an NAACP plot that they actually got a cadaver and and, and planted the cadaver in a river. So you had all these, you know, rumors swirling around, but we were able to put that all to rest in two thousand five when Emmett Till's body was um, exhumated. We did an exhumation of his body. And through DNA evidence, we were able to prove, thanks to the late Simeon Wright, we were able to prove that, in fact, the body that was pulled from the river, um, the body that everyone has seen, is, in fact, Emmett Till. So our final question, because I know we have to wrap up soon, uh, is, you know, we all know that there was a search warrant recently found and, you know, the DA decided not to, you know, pursue it because he felt like it was too old. There would be some new evidence that he would have to um, present in order to feel comfortable, right, moving forward. So where does that really leave this now? I mean, she's obviously well, still well, alive. So where where well, we first of all, I'm glad you asked this question too. Um, mm-hmm. First of all, the warrant is still an active warrant. Okay. It's an outstanding warrant that hasn't been served yet. Um, the DA convened a grand jury to circumvent having to um, deal with the warrant aspect of the case. And so the warrant is not rescinded. It has to be rescinded by a judge. Okay. And the DA has to show probable cause to why the warrant has to be rescinded or should be rescinded. So right now, it's it's actually in court for a review. We're waiting to hear back from, you know, so, um, from the judge soon with our attorney, Jeribu Hill. Mm-hmm. And so hopefully we'll know the status of the case at some point. But what I can tell you is mm-hmm. that we're going to continue to fight until everyone is held accountable for their actions in terms of the participation in the kidnapping and murder of David Lewis Till. Carol Bryant Donald is, 
you know, she's guilty. And there's mounds of evidence against her. We just need to have courageous DAs out there who will be willing to take this to the court of law and pursue it. I, I wish that Emmett's mom was here to see this, but um, I, I have to believe somehow she she is seeing what is, what is being done. And I just think this film is coming out. It's, I don't think it's a coincidence the film will come out around the time the search warrant being found all that. I just think God is just working and it's just, it's just aligning. Well, I, I found the warrant, by the way. I was with the group that found You the found the warrant. Yeah. So wow. that was done, you know, to put pressure on the DA because he wasn't going to do anything. Well, so we're going to listen. We're going to pray over, you know, the DA or whoever else knew in charge that could, like you said, have the courage to move yeah. forward. Because like you said, until you, either you're going to resend it, and if you resend it, fine. Then we're gonna ask for a new warrant, but we're gonna we're gonna like you said we're gonna follow the steps. We're not gonna pretend that these aren't the rules and this is not how things are going to be done. Right. So I'm glad that you clarified that it has not been rescinded. You know that's not something that's happened. And for whatever reason they haven't taken that step yet. So you know we will definitely be following this uh, this story closely. Now you can argue well the DA did take it to you know a, um, a grand jury recently. Well. I have to say, if you haven't been to the Delta of Mississippi, you just don't know the world that you're living in. This is a totally different atmosphere than any other uh, place in the country. And we're also talking about um, indicting the first white woman for a civil rights crime uh, from the civil rights, civil rights era. And so that alone is a feat within itself. And we all know if we want to be very frank about this, we know what the white woman stands for when it comes to white supremacy in this country, the sanctity of white supremacy. So we're not merely dealing with one individual. We're dealing with a system of white supremacy that still is that is still very active in the Delta of Mississippi, regardless of the demographics and who's in and who's in the leadership positions there. Yes. And, I, and on that note, um, you know, it's interesting that you say that because when I'm watching the film, um, one of the things that I did, I was the IP attorney for the Ahmaud Aubrey estate. Um, and so when I see the film and the mom being worried about her son, it just reminded me so much of Ahmaud Aubrey and his mom, Wanda Cooper Jones, that close relationship they had, even him having the nickname Bo. I didn't know that yes. um, uh, Ahmaud Aubrey had the nickname Quez. And so it, it's just amazing for her, whatever, 40, 50, 60, whatever years later, and we're literally still experiencing the same things. Luckily for Ahmad, he got justice on both the state and federal level. And so we are still seeking that justice uh, from Emmett Till. Um, and with that said, uh, we just appreciate you coming in and just spending a little time with us. Would have never known that you were interested in being a lawyer. So how fitting that you get to be on the Black Lawyers Podcast. Just all the work you've done behind the scenes, in front of the camera, behind the camera, to bring his story uh, to light again, You know, just to bring even justice. Um, to it. I know the family is forever grateful. Before we get to the Black Excellence Moment of the Week, I also just want to mention to our audience that um, as of March of 2022, so as of this year, 67 years after Emmett Till was killed, uh, the Federal Anti-Lynching Act, which is in his namesake, it's actually called the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act, um, has been passed. So 60 years after, 67 years after his passing, we're just now passing on the federal level that lynching 
is illegal in the United States on the federal level. So uh, it's crazy that it's taken this long, but I just wanted to point out that fact as it ties to uh, Emmett Till and our episode. And with that being said, I would like to close out with uh, some other positive news. Our our Black um, Excellence Moment of the Week uh, actually goes out to uh, attorney and former First Lady Michelle Obama, who has partnered with Penguin Random House uh, Publishers to offer a Michelle Obama uh, scholarship award um, that will go towards helping aspiring uh, writers. So that is our um, Black Excellence Moment of the Week. And uh, we just want to thank again um, uh, producer Keith from coming on and talking to us about his wonderful film. We can't wait to hear what's next as it relates to uh, Emmett Till finally getting justice in his case. And until next time, as always, we're rooting for everyone Black. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the Black Lawyers Podcast. This is your host, Jay Carter. Until next time, please follow us on all our social media handles at the Black Lawyers Podcast.